0: Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Priyadarshan Joshi, also known as PD, who's a software developer by trade with an affinity for side projects, including a Mac application called Split Screen that he bought for $1,000 and has since grown to over $60,000 in revenue. Since PD's earliest days when he was learning how to use Windows 95 at home just outside of Mumbai, India, he's had a deep fascination with computers. That led to studying engineering in his university, where he worked on his very first side project building software for internet cafes to use for managing their shops. While that product didn't quite get off the ground, it taught him valuable lessons about the time and effort that needed to go into building a product that would actually be useful to customers. After graduating from school, PD went into technical sport where he quickly learned that the full-time job lifestyle wasn't going to be for him. He spent some time living and working in New York City, where he side hustled by dropshipping cameras on eBay and began testing his way into building software both for himself and as a consultant for other companies. Eventually, that led to acquiring his very first Mac application, and the rest is history. In this episode, PD and I talk about how he discovered the split-screen Mac application for sale on an online marketplace priced at $1,000, and what his decision-making process looked like when choosing to invest in growing this app. We cover the incredibly tactical approach he took to price testing his new application, using a system of Excel spreadsheets to find the optimum list price, and even which days of the week he should raise and lower prices in order to achieve maximum revenue. We dig into the clever ways he used his first Mac application and those users as a foundation for growing a business that now boasts 10 different applications today. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at com slash podcast. That's spelled R Y R O B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with PD. PD, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. How are you? Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, we, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, we're actually going to be diving into a fascinating niche that I don't think we've covered on the podcast before uh, Mac applications. So I'm pumped. Um, but first, I do want to start at the beginning of your story. So, PD, where are you originally from? I am from. India, uh,
1: uh, from a city called Vadodara. it's near Bombay, it's, right, it's in the west, were... western part of the country.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were just talking um, before we hit record here, and you, and you kind of compared it to San Diego, right? Like, uh, yes, um, yes. not super metropolitan, but big enough to feel a little bit like a city? Correct, that's correct. Awesome, and that's the area that you're originally from as well? Yes, yes, exactly. Cool, cool. What did your parents do while you were growing up? Okay. Uh,
1: My father uh, worked in a Japanese company called Panasonic. Oh, yeah. And he was a production engineer, and he spent around 38 years of his life in that company. So I personally did not have any family background for business. So I'm the first generation entrepreneur. My family.
0: All right. Although you got maybe the the seeds of the interest in engineering, just a different kind of engineering from him, would you say?
1: Yes. Yes. Right. So like I was interested in computers uh from I would say when I was in grade twelve. That is the first time that was the first time when I bought a computer at home.
0: And it was it
1: kind of opened a totally new dimension for me.
0: Do you remember the first thing you did with your computer? I
1: saved a file. <laughs> I, I, I literally called my dad and said, you know, this uh, Windows 95 is telling me to save a file. So should I save the file? And he said, yes, go ahead, do it. <laughs> so Windows that was the time
0: 95.
1: when, Man. yeah, yeah. So that was a time when computers had just begun here and I was like, totally into it. Like, I used to get fascinated when I heard the concept of WinZip, like you can compress files, you know? Yes. Things like that really fascinated me that, you know, how, how is it possible to do such things?
0: Yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, especially in the earlier days when um, this kind of understanding of how all these things worked uh, weren't yeah. as far out there.
1: Even I was kind of fascinated by how, uh, you know, initially uh, when... Before the smartphones were on, Nokia was very popular in this part of the world. So I was like, how would they design the screen to play that snake game? Or how would they design that interface? It's a, such a small space. So that kind of things really interested me a lot.
0: Yeah, I feel like the, one of the biggest common trends I've seen and guests here on the podcast, especially people that have a technology background, um, is just like a fierce curiosity in how things work. Yeah do you remember the and very first say side project or business of your own that you worked on for yourself and yeah. That was? yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> so when i was in grade 10th i start no sorry when i was in i think first year of my college i started learning some bit of programming uh, and by the way i didn't do computer science i did my electrical uh, sorry electronics and communication engineering mm-hmm. so I learned a lot of things on my own, so I tried to develop a software for the cyber cafes that were there, you know how cyber cafes can be managed through okay. one single software, but that project didn't <laughs>
0: got finished. <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> did you end up getting any customers, or it, it didn't quite get ready? No, no, it didn't quite get ready at all. Okay. And
1: then I had uh, if I remember correctly, I had submitted a poetry. So I used to write some poetry and I used to submit it to some websites and they said that, you know, congratulations, your poetry has been selected and so and so. So I thought maybe I should create some sites, you know, so I used to, Mm -hmm. and this was in my first or second year engineering uh, uh, college time that I used to kind of, go to cyber cafes and create some websites, poetry kind of websites. And those were very primitive websites, you know, just to get a feel, idea of just to make something new. So that was what really excited me a lot.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's also a learning experience at the same time, right?
1: Right, exactly.
0: So, fast forwarding a little bit, um, it looks like after uh, university, um, you begin working um, with software for the better part of you know twenty years. You've been in technology, right? Um, yes, so, tell us about your first years. job. What was your very yeah. first job?
1: Actually, I just had one job. I didn't. I worked there for seven years, and then I started my business. So, my first company, first and the only company that I worked for, was Putney Computers. They were like a very big com- computer IT company here in India. They The total workforce there was around 16,000 employees. So it was a very wow. big pump for me to join in. Yeah, that's and impressive. I was like, on the very first project, <laughs> I was really frustrated because they put me into production support for some ERP application. And... Throughout my engineering, I didn't learn anything about, I mean, they didn't teach anything about commerce. So everything was new to me and I was like really frustrated and I actually wrote a mail to my dad that, you know, I just want to quit this thing. These guys are not good. I just want to come back home. (laughs) So, But later on things went fine and then I started developing. So the change came when I started investing in stock market. Okay. So I started reading balance sheets, annual reports of the companies, and I started
0: mm-hmm. getting
1: to know what financial sides of the things are, and that interested me You were doing on the side
0: of your full-time job.
1: Yes. So did you start investing? After, yes, I did start investing uh, in my first year of my job. So that gave me a lot of learning experience and all.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Did you have any um, big sort of successes or big, you know, losses maybe in your early days investing?
1: Uh, so I used to, I'm I'm very cautious type of person. So I don't, I didn't invest a lot of money into one thing and, you know, prayed for to get it hundred percent return or something. I used to invest in staggered ways. So that saved me a lot of big losses, I would say.
0: Yeah, that's so, smart.
1: Yeah. So later, after working there for four, so we were working for uh, various US clients like General Electric and New York Stock Exchange. So in 2006, I got a chance to uh, work at the New York Stock Exchange and Wall Street as an ERP consultant. So that was the year when NYC got merged with five other stock exchanges and they got listed at NYC. So I was a part of their financial integration team, team which merged five different ERPs into one.
0: Oh wow, that yeah. sounds like a really big project. Yeah, it was.
1: <laughs> so I was there for a year uh, at the NYC.
0: Okay, and was it after yeah. that that you began kind of like working more for yourself when you when you launched Upnexo Technologies?
1: Yeah. So before that, I'll rewind a few things. So when I came to US, I was like, man, if I stay here for five years, I would be a millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason for this was like, I started selling small things on eBay. And Uh I I remember my first thing that I sold. uh, so, So that was a Nokia, no, sorry, Nikon digital camera at that time so this is 2006 mm-hmm. and what i did was i actually did not copy description from you know their sites and pasted it i actually translated each specification or feature into a you know easy to understand language on my listing yeah and i, I, mean, and I still remember <laughs> yeah yeah so and i still remember that on average that camera was selling for 180 dollars and mine sold for like two thirty dollars, and I was so happy. And the best thing was I didn't have that camera with me. I actually drop shipped from Amazon, <laughs> and that guy Your later "Early said, drop shipper." Yes. So that guy later told me that you know you know what? Why did you drop ship? I mean, I did. I thought you would have it, and things. I mean, then I started. Uh, selling a lot of things on eBay, but that was kind of side project, small things, but but I always make sure that, you know, I would give descriptions, which are easy to understand for people. And yeah, I mean, it would be like five reasons to buy, why you should buy this camera or things like that.
0: I mean, that's a competitive advantage right there. Like you're, you're basically doing a better job of communicating to consumers than the actual brand itself.
1: Right. Yeah. And I just, uh, and I was like, I had one narrow chance of losing $500 when a Nigerian guy told me to ship it to his address. And <laughs> But I, I, I just got saved on time because uh, I went to DHL and they said that, you know, this will take some $170 for shipping. So then I went back and I was selling that on Amazon. So I called Amazon and said, there's no such orders place in your account. And I got an email, which was as if Amazon would have sent it when a, a product is ordered.
0: Whoa. Interesting. <laughs> That's quite a scam. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I got, <laughs> so that was my first taste into, you know, yeah. selling things, real experience selling things. And I was like, this is the best place to do business. Like. It's a land of opportunity, you know, it's, people say, I mean, I only heard that, you know, America is a land of opportunity, but I actually felt it when I I was there. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's the best place to do business, really.
0: Then what brought you back home?
1: Okay, so, (laughs) my company also got listed on NYC, and I was fortunate enough to be, I was, uh, along with my other colleagues, I was, uh, they took me to the trading floor and it's very rare that you get to be on the trading floor. And at that time I decided that, you know, one day I'll have a company which will be listed here and I'll be ringing that opening bell. So, and before even see my at, aptitude towards business started when I was in time standard, when I first heard of Bill Gates and I was like, uh-huh. I want to be like this man.
0: seriously big shoes to fill
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) and I was like you know even if it means selling peanuts on the street but I'll do it as my own business I won't serve anyone so that was a passion I would say that you know got me to return to India and started uh, start my own business
0: I like it and so what was the very first product you decided was this immediately when you jumped into Mac applications or did you start with something
1: else Mac applications came quite later. So when I came back from US, I was actually, I liked TurboTax a lot. You know, that that is one of the best sites you can make. It's so user friendly. So I was like inclined that, you know, I need to create some kind of tax filing solutions for Indian customers. So I quit. So in 2007, I came back. But an year later, I prepared everything and then I quit my job and uh, gave uh, outsourced the development work to uh, an IT company to create a tax filing solution. So there were two challenges, biggest challenges. I was creating a solution for income tax, you know, which was related to income tax. And I didn't know anything about income tax.
0: that sounds like a problem
1: (laughs) yeah and secondly those guys created the site in c-sharp.net and while i was working as an it consultant i was into pl sql so c-sharp was a totally new technology for me so i actually so in income tax in india we have around 200 sections so those are different acts that are there so i read all 200 sections interpreted it and then translated that into a you know a technical document
0: wow how long did that take you
1: uh, it took me 6 months to develop everything and you know what when i <laughs> so during that time while i quit my job I was engaged to my fiance and I told my fiance that, you know, uh, so my would be wife. So I told her that, you know, I'm going to quit my job. So be ready to have a roller coaster ride. <laughs> so she was okay with that. And I still remember on my honeymoon, I used to test some of the things that were developed by the tidy company.
0: Jeez. <laughs> so what, what came of the application once you launched, what happens? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, in 2009, the application was ready for filing. So in US, you have that April 15th deadline, right? For submissions of your IT returns, right? Right. So we have 31st of July as the deadline. And most of the people awake at the last moment. So July is the only month where you actually make money. and. Throughout the year, it's so it's one month of revenue and 12 months of expense. So that I realized after (laughs) one year of slogging for this thing. (laughs) But the the thing which fascinated me towards, uh, you know, creating something like TurboTax was the tendency for people to stick to a provider for this kind of work. I hardly see anyone switching because they do it once a year and People usually don't like to switch when they are comfortable with one thing. So I saw a, right. a huge lifetime value in it for the customers. Point of view,
0: right? I mean, I think the same thing is true with TurboTax in the U.S. Is that like once yeah. you use it one time, they kind of you know hook you in, or you just yeah. don't. The, the switching cost is high, right? Like finding someone else, so got to get yeah. uh, all your data into a new platform. Like they do a good job of making it easy for you to do that. Right yeah it's a good niche
1: so, yeah so after two years of doing all this thing and realizing that you know this is not going to work for long then i started venturing into mobile applications so in 2010 uh, you know i went full form into developing mobile applications for the clients and all
0: okay so that's when you start taking on like client work when do you begin um building your own applications or, you know, as, as we originally connected, um, it was about a Mac application that you acquired. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: from 2010 to 2015, uh, yeah, 2015, we were into, uh, you know, developing all these things. Meanwhile, I was also kind of looking for ways to make income from existing, you know, existing business. So I took, a site from a popular, uh, you know, uh, marketplace, but later on, and that was for some wallpaper site. I still remember. And after purchasing, I realized that I didn't have the Google AdSense account, <laughs> so I lost a lot of money there. Okay. So later on, <laughs> yeah. So in two thousand fifteen, again started searching for other things where I can, you know. Uh, So my criteria for uh, a business was to get an existing business and improve it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I mean, I have this tendency from the childhood, like, you know, whenever I used to go to some shop and I would always think that, you know, if I am the owner of this shop, what changes would I do to make, you know, increase the revenue or make the shop better? So I had this, I don't know, tendency or an eye to... See where can the improvement be done. So I saw this Mac app being sold on that marketplace for around thousand dollars or so, mm-hmm. and the bidding the bidding actually stopped at nine hundred, and that Mac application was uh, had a steady revenue of two hundred dollars per month, and this was steady for almost four years. So I knew that you know. Hmm the revenues are predictable and i just have to risk four to five months of my income if every, everything anything goes wrong so i took the risk i negotiated a deal with the uh, that owner and i could see there were a lot of things that needs improvement in that and slowly i started improving each and everything and that kind of uh, you know increase the revenue manifold
0: yeah, you, so this was the split-screen application yes, for Max,
1: right? Yes, 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 split-screen application. Okay. So what I did was, now I'm a very skeptical or, you know, a very risk-averse person. So what I did initially was that, you know, I just wanted to test that, you know, whether it will... So, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping places here, no but... Problem. Thing is, that application was selling for 99 cents on the Mac App Store. And I knew that you know this can definitely sell for much higher price. So the first thing I did was I just redesigned the app icon. The app icon was really, really dull and very basic. So I created an app icon which visually would give an idea that you know what the app would do. So it would split the Mac screen into two parts which is the same icon that you will see right now also yeah then for one month i just kept it at the same price at it uh, what it was that 99 cents and it had that steady revenue of $200 a month later on i started experimenting with the price so here's what i did i started maintaining an excel each week i would start increasing the price by $1 and then I will record how much money I made in that one week. So I increased it from $1 up to $10. Oh. So that gave me an idea or that gave me a spe- sweet spot as to where I should be selling for maximum revenue. Not for maximum download, but for maximum revenue. Right. And that price turned out to be $7, dollars six ninety
0: nine. 99 This is fascinating. I love that you approach this from like such a like systems thinking point of view.
1: Yeah. And other thing which I also did was that in that same Excel, I used to uh, mark revenue based on the weekdays. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that would be repeated. I mean, I made a pivot table which would show me that, you know, which day of the week would generate the maximum revenue. So I would plan my price increase or decrease based on that.
0: That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. For example, let me give an example. So Friday was the day when it generated the least amount of revenue. So I wouldn't plan to decrease my price price on Friday because uh, there's a tendency that, you know, when you decrease the price, you you generally tend to see some spike in your sales. So Friday would have the least download. So it won't have that impact. So I would save that price increase for Sunday when it had the maximum uh, revenue day wise.
0: Huh? That is so interesting. Okay. So let's talk revenue. Then, um, you bought it for a thousand dollars. Um, how much revenue are you generating it from it? Um, you know, per month, maybe at its peak or if it's still at its peak, what does it look like now?
1: Okay. So I'll, okay. From the time I bought it. So my thousand dollar investment is right now at $60,000.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty good return. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And uh, so at peak, it was generating around $3,000 a month. And right now it's generating somewhere around $700 to $800 a month. Okay. So there's another thing which I did. Uh, so I just didn't stop at this thing. I actually created three, two more different variants of the same product. So I added more features and at a higher price point. But the only problem with the split screen app was it was a uh, sandboxed application, which means, uh, you know, Apple actually came up with sandbox guidelines in 2012, if I'm not wrong. And any applications which were prior to 2012 cannot be modified by adding feature or removing feature. You know, you cannot add or remove feature in apps which are, uh, you know, uh yeah. launched 2000 uh, prior to 2012 and this was and this app was launched in 2010 and i still wanted to have more features in it so i thought you know how can i achieve that so i registered the domain called splitskinapp.com and i created two more variants with more features and higher prices so there's a splitskin pro which is priced at 1499 and there's another split screen ultimate, which is priced at 19.99. Now the problem was how to get customers from, I mean, how to get traffic towards such a new site.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: what I did was see, Apple did not allow us to add any features to an existing app. Okay. So what I did was I created a landing page, which would show, which would have a video, which will show to the existing users, how to use the app. Okay. And just below that, I would pitch the upgrade, uh, you know, version that you know you can upgrade your split screen to split screen ultimate for just fourteen ninety nine. And all I did on my original app was I just added a menu item called "How to Use Split Screen," and Apple allowed it.
0: Ah, <laughs> that's a nice little <laughs> hack. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that way I got around their strict guidelines and managed to get customers who would eventually go to a split screen ultimate.
0: Okay. So how many Mac applications do you have today? Is it just the three split screen ones or are you expanding no, into more? I,
1: no, I have many more. I think I would have around
0: 10 more. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. What's your top seller so I, today?
1: Top seller is an app called Resolution Switcher. So it helps you to switch resolutions without going to system preferences and all. So it's a menu application where it's very handy to use.
0: That's cool. I mean, there's so many little niche products that'll, that'll work just because of how useful they are. Yeah.
1: And it's just that, you know, at times you have to see that, you know, there's money everywhere. You just have to find out how to get it. Yeah.
0: Money. I love that. Okay. <laughs> so... PD, we're coming to the end of our interview here. I want to be respectful of your time, um, but I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is the best investment you've ever made in the context of growing your business? This can be in the form of time, money, tools, product services, or otherwise.
1: Okay. The best investment I've made till now in my business is to spend time in podcast, listening to podcasts like yours, because... You know, being a businessman, it's very difficult to find time, but I always try to find time to listen to your podcast or similar podcast for that matter. And that has helped me a lot because the insights that you get from, you know, all such your pot I mean, podcast is just tremendous. Like it's, you cannot value it in terms of dollar amount.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, not, not specifically with my podcast, but podcasts in general. I mean, because you get such yes. different like, yes. perspectives from other people who have done, you know, accomplished amazing feats or, or yeah. people who are just a few steps ahead of you even in, in the same industry. I've, I've yeah. always learned things from those people. Yeah,
1: And at times, you know, you never know. A, a sentence from an interviewer can really change your life. You just never know.
0: It's true. It's really true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, PD, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening where they can go to learn more about you, all of your apps and check out what you're up to?
1: Yeah. Uh, you can check out uh split screen app. Uh, you know, you can check out more about split screen at splitscreenapp.com and you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to join me or on
0: Facebook as well. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. Well, I love it. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.